Okay, so uh, we're in Matthew 14. What are you afraid of? I want to talk to you a little bit this morning about fear. What are you afraid of? Let's jump in to Matthew 14. Immediately Jesus, starting in verse 22, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up to the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves, because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. Let's take a pause there for a moment. So, one of the things we have to remember is that not only does God desire to be with us in the midst of life's challenges or storms. Last week we talked about sometimes we feel like Jesus naps in the boat with us when the storms come. Now in this story, we're reminded that Jesus wants to be with us and is willing to come to us. The disciples get into the boat and they kind of are already off the shore because the wind is going against it. Jesus is gone to pray by himself and he notices this. He notices this in the midst of the darkness. You ever notice that Right? That's when the wind seems to blow the hardest. When, when the storms rage the most is when it feels dark. Now, it's always darkest before the dawn. It always is darkest before the dawn. The light will come, but it's in this moment, in the darkness, just before the dawn, that Jesus decides to come to his disciples. And he picks a pretty interesting way of getting there. But I just want you to hear today, before we move past this, the reminder that he wants to be with you and is willing to come to you. Even if it means taking a very weird way to get there, he desires to be with you. So if you feel like the wind is blowing against you and you're already far off away from the shore, he comes. He's always willing to come to you. Let's pick it up there. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, verse 26, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said. And they cried out in fear. Why did they say it was a ghost? You see, we're in the season now where your DVRs are probably getting filled up with all of the great scary story classics, like the great pumpkin Charlie Brown or some of the other scary ones. Anybody get down with the scary movies? I'm not a fan. I, I don't like the scary movies, right? Mike, you like it? All right, yeah, I, there's just something about it. I just can't do it. But this is like the season, if you go on Netflix or other streaming devices, all of the sort of top 10 shows or movies now are gonna be these sort of horror stories or scary stories. We even, right, in New Jersey, have our own legend about this crazy monster that runs around the Pine Barrens, as if the Pine Barrens weren't scary enough. Right, the legend of the Jersey Devil. Or, you remember that summer when Jaws came out? How many of you went swimming in the ocean after you saw that movie? I didn't even want to go in the swimming pool after I watched that movie as a kid. So, we, we have these stories of these legends that we all know about. And when we're kids, we hear the story maybe about the Jersey Devil or the boogeyman or the monster in our closet or the monster under our bed. We tell these funny little ghost stories. But the truth is, is while we may have moved on from those fears 
It doesn't mean we don't live without some fears now, maybe as youth or young adults or adults, right? We, uh, we still have some fears. And it may not be as, you know, out there and as visible. I think most of our fears are really underneath the surface. They're kind of down there in our hearts, in our guts, in our souls. We still have fears, and they're very real for us. And Jesus' day, when they told ghost stories, where did all the monsters and the scary things live in Jesus' day? Under the water. I don't know, maybe they didn't have like pine barrens for like creepy things to run around. But that's where all of the scary things lived. In fact, scripture at the beginning of the beautiful poetic narrative in Genesis is this chaos that hovers over the deep. The earth was without form and and void, but there's this chaos before this. This is how this creation narrative begins. There's this, this mess, this chaos, this thing that God now speaks to and brings into order. Book of Job talks about the Leviathan, which I think looks like the Loch Ness Monster, right? So even in Scripture itself, we have these stories. In fact, the story of Jesus walking on the water is, is almost like a ghost story. What do they call him? They call, they say, it's a what? It's a ghost. It's dark, they're fighting the wind, and they look out upon the water of which all of their legends, all of their stories say scary things are down there. Think about Tolkien. Think about a lot of the great writers in literature that talk about where does that which causes us to fear live? And now they may choose monsters or or other types of creatures, but it's always under the water. Their worst fears were realized when they look out and they see Jesus and they name him as, as what they think is a fear of theirs. It's very natural for them to say, it's a ghost walking on that water. What, what's going on here? Their worst fears are now made visible. So I would probably guess that you're not scared of the boogeyman or the monster under your bed. Well, what happens when your worst fears come to sight? Jesus is going to help us with this. Let's pick it up. Verse 27, but Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. That phrase, don't be afraid, is found, at least from what scholars tell us, 365 times throughout Scripture. I think that's an important number. I can't quite make a reference to that yet, but I'm working on it. 365, I don't know, we'll figure that out. Yeah, doesn't it feel like daily we need to hear, don't be afraid? Why does Jesus have to say this or The other writers and speakers throughout Scripture have to say this to God's people. It's because fear is a real thing. We can't pretend that it's not. So we have to live into this reality of how we need to not fear in the midst of our fears. In fact, that's what we need to do when we do this thing called taking courage. Why do we have to take courage on? Because sometimes you don't got it. I don't have it. Why do I need to take it on? Because it may not be the most natural thing that comes out of me. I love how (laughs) the Apostle Paul would also use the language of putting on something. Put on compassion. Put on love. Put on forgiveness and forbearance. Why do we put those on or why do we take them for ourselves? Because we may not have them. It's not easy to 
forbear. It's not easy to forgive or to always have compassion. It's not easy to just have courage ooze out of us. That's why we take it. That's why we place it into our hands. We hold to it. We take it on. It's something that I think God can give us. We take courage and not fear. Because courage will always be revealed in your moments of fear, not when everything is going well. Have you, have you gotten this part of reality of your life yet? Have you understood that it's in the moments of fear that bravery and courage is, is often invited? It, it, that's, when we're, that's when we're the most courageous, not when everything's great. It's when actually everything is kind of going wrong and we feel the wind and we feel the storm and we are afraid our, our worst fears are made visible, it's in those moments that we take courage. We take courage. And here's what, here's what happens. Verse 28, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. So, their worst fears are realized, and now Jesus comes to them walking on the water. Now, while this is a fabulous moment of Jesus' you know, godness, his divinity, his, his coolness, what is he doing here? You'd think he'd say, like, you know, Moses, I've been hearing for a long time about what you did with the water. Oh, aren't you so great that you parted the Red Sea? I've been, that's, all, that's all I've been hearing about. Moses been yammering on in Jesus' ear in heaven all these years. And he's like, you know what? Watch this. Is he just doing like a parlor trick? Is he, what's, he, what's he really doing here? See, as, as people, what we do is we personify God. We take the things that are visible and known to us, and we place them upon God. So did you know that God has a face? We're not exactly sure what God's face looks like, but we know that God has a face, because the scripture writers are going to say, God, turn your face toward us. It's about God's countenance, about God's essence. And you know, make your face to shine upon us and grant unto us peace. Victor Hugo would say to love another person is to see the face of God. But, you know, God has a face. God has an ear. The psalmist says, turn your ear to hear the voice of my supplication. I'm not sure what his ear looks like, but he's got one. The arm of the Lord. Is the arm of the Lord too short to save? The prophet would invite. No, the arm is not too short to save. God's arm is long, I guess. But the arm also is a personification of God's power or God's strength. Because what do we do with kids when we say, are you strong? What do they most of the time do? They do this. They use their arms to show, oh, look how strong I am. It's a sign of strength. What about God's feet? God has feet. Now, the foot or the heel of God is something that you see as a theme throughout Scripture from the very beginning. 
In fact, in Genesis chapter 3, when there's this conversation about the enemy, right, the serpent is the serpent, even though the enemy, the darkness, the fear that we have, even though it might strike our heel, that with our heel, its head is crushed in Genesis chapter 3. Now, that's a pretty strong contrast. What's going to hurt more, your heel being bitten or your head being crushed? So even in the poetry of Genesis chapter 3, there's this beautiful, powerful contrast of darkness, the enemy, hurt, fear will have its moments in your life, but you, you shouldn't fear, you should take courage, because the truth is, with your very heel, the serpent will be defeated. His head will be crushed. See, when Jesus walks on the water, he takes his authority, his heel, that part of himself which we personify to mean his authority, and he puts it on top of the fears, on top of the water. There's something really unique, I think, about this now. Because even though they name his, him as being a ghost, what he does is when he goes on top of the water, he's essentially saying... All that you would be afraid of, everything that causes you to fear, I've got it. It's under my feet. And he walks on top of it. He places his heel over it. Does it bring you encouragement to know that God can handle your fears? That God has authority over your fears? How do I know that? Because he walks on top of it. All of that which is underneath the surface, underneath the water, that which causes you to fear, he places his feet above it. Here's the fascinating thing, though. If you can acknowledge that Jesus is over or has authority over your fears, that they're, in fact, under his feet, what will you do when he invites you to join him out over your fears as well? This is what we see in the language of inviting Peter out onto the water. Because he's not quite sure, you know, really? Is it you? Because if it is, can I be there too? Can I be over my fears with you? Because I think it's one thing to say, yeah, 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 we get it. We know that God can help us with our fears and Jesus is over and God has authority over it. What, what about you? Romans 16 kind of talks more about this language of the authority of the heel when it says, and the God of peace will soon crush Satan. God will crush Satan underneath God's feet. Right? Is that? Oh, sorry. I, th I think that's a typo. Is that it? Because it can't be my feet. It must be God's feet. Is that a typo? No, it's not. What's it say again? The God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath. No, no, not just God's feet. Are you with me on this? Underneath whose feet? Your. Your feet. That's why he says, come on out and join me. Come on out on top of this water. It's quite fine. You belong out on the water with Jesus over having authority over your fears. As much as the wind would blow and you might see it and begin to sink again, as much as you might fear, he desires for you to be with him 
over top of all of those fears, on top of that water. Martin Luther, the great reformer, says, even though this world with devils filled would threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. Another hymn writer says, though Satan should buffet, though trials would come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. There's another hymn. It didn't quite make it into our hymn book yet, but it says, these boots were made for walking. <laughs> and that's just what they'll do. You know it. One of these days, these boots are going to walk all over you. Where do you belong? As much as life in our past circumstances has said, let's just hang here in the boat. Let's just hang here where it's safe in the boat. And you are invited today not just to remember that Jesus has authority over your fears because he's going to walk on them, but that you can too. The God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. Look at the contrast of how small, right? We make our fears so big, don't we? We make the enemy so big that we just can't do it. That It's just so massive that we can't ever conquer it. It's so small. It fits underneath your foot. It's almost like a little ant. Squish. But I know that the wind is going to make it feel bigger. And as much as we have heard before the, the language of, you know, just, just keep looking at Jesus and you'll never sink. All right, fix, you know, we see Peter begins to see the wind and he sinks. And as much as sometimes we use that passage to say, oh, see, you should have been focusing on Jesus more. I get that. I've heard that before. I think what we miss, though, in this kind of later part of the scripture is not so much focusing upon Peter's failure or our failure when we see the wind and the fear rises up within us again, but we don't focus enough upon the hand that is extended to us to lift us out of the water again, to reach out to us, that not only invited us, invited us out over our fears, but when we fear again in the midst of it, when we feel like we're starting to do it, but then fear in the wind begins to cause us to doubt again, when we start to sink, don't forget that he's there with you. Now, he's going to bring you into the boat again. The wind is going to die down, and that's the moment when Jesus says, okay, friend, let's talk about faith. Let's talk about doubt. Remember that I'm with you. Why did you doubt? I was there the whole time. I'm with you. And isn't that the best news of all, that he comes to us as we're fighting the storms of our lives. He has authority over that which causes us to fear, not just the monster under our closet, in our closet, under our bed, <laughs> the boogeyman, the Jersey Devil, whatever, all the things, not those silly things, the, thing, the real things, the real fears of our lives. He wants to walk on top of that stuff, to just place it under his heel, to squish it, to have authority 
over it. And when he's there, don't be shocked when he says, come join me too. Because you need to live with authority over your fears. Whatever's under the surface for you today, friends, he's got it. Will you be able to walk on it too? Let's pray. We thank you that when we doubt, you grant faith. When we fear, you reach your hand to us, Lord, and pull us up so that we might remember who you are. For you are not what we think is a fear of ours at first glance. You are the one who conquers our fear. Come, Lord, and speak peace, not just to the wind and the storms of our lives, but to our very hearts, that we might know that you've got it, that it's under your feet, that you are in control. And give us the courage, because we may not have it. Help us to take it and to not fear, so that we might be able to walk out on the water over top of all that is underneath the surface of our hearts. Children of God, take thou authority and walk. For you were meant to be with Jesus, even on top of the water. And all of God's children can say, amen.